just the beginning of giving you an idea of what we get to invest in. So in the second week of July, there's going to be about 10 people from First Baptist Church that are going to go to participate in this evangelistic camp. Uh, I had the privilege of going several years ago. I know that Kale has been several times with Brooke, and they're going back again to kind of lead this team. And man, this really is a phenomenal opportunity. And what we are doing as a church, I announced it last week. I want to remind you today that next week, May 21st, a week from today, we are going to be receiving a special offering. So what I'm asking you to do is to be in prayer about your family contributing to be a part of this camp. What we have to do in order to get the privilege from the Hungarian government to take these orphans that are wards of the state and to take them to camp and have the freedom to preach the gospel to them is that the benefit the government gets is that we, cover, we pay for camp and they don't have to. And so the total camp cost of bringing all the kids there and all the workers and translators is going to be about $16,000. And so the church missions fund is going to match everything that we give, but we're asking that you would prayerfully give and that we're asking the Lord to give us $8,000 next Sunday in the offering. So would you pray about that with us? This is a phenomenal opportunity for you to be involved directly in the opportunity for these kids who likely have never had the chance to hear the gospel clearly presented in their whole lives to hear it. And like Pastor Brett shared, that over 50% every single year respond to the gospel. It's no guarantee, but praise the Lord, the phenomenal response of these young people in the country of Hungary. So Man, you get to invest directly in the possibility of people, the likelihood of people uh, being able to spend eternity with us, with the Lord in heaven. And so I know that that's priceless. Um, I'm asking that if if you're an adult and if you have a good job, well, let's just say if you have a job, uh, you may argue how good it is, that that you would consider giving a gift of beginning at like $100. If you just can't give that much, I, I do understand, but... But please don't just think about showing up and throwing five or ten bucks in the plate. Please consider giving more. Eight thousand dollars is a lot of money, but I believe, uh, as I said before, the, the, the good news is we already have the eight thousand. The bad news is it's still in our wallets. So we kind of have to just ask the Lord to, what he would have us to do, and that will be um, next week. And so, listen, I know you're going to do it. I know we're going to raise it. Uh, this church is a church that cares about souls. Amen. And so I'm, I'm thankful to be able to be in it with you. So that's, that's what we're all about. Okay, if you have your Bibles, uh, open them to the book of 2 Peter. And uh, we are going to get back to the series of Bible study that we began some months ago. So we are in chapter number 3, 2 Peter, chapter number 3. And what we have studied with 2 Peter is this subject right here, spiritual growth and maturity. That has been the theme of the entire book. And what we have seen in chapter number one is the development of spiritual growth and maturity. What we saw were specifically seven steps of spiritual growth that you add to your faith. And it was a, literally a programmed step-by-step way that God raises his children and a metric by which we can measure where we're at, actually. Uh, in the second chapter, we saw distractions. And so basically coming in the, in, the, in the framework of false teachers and sinful behaviors that will distract us and deter us 
from achieving spiritual growth and maturity. And in chapter number three, what we're going to see is the demonstration of spiritual growth. We're going to look at how real spiritual growth looks in the life of a believer. And the sermon title that I've given today is Ignorance of the Truth. We're going to talk about those who are ignorant, unaware, uninformed of the truth. Will Rogers once said that everybody's ignorant, only on different subjects, right? And so that's certainly true. I mean, don't ask me about auto mechanics or computer programming. I mean, there's subjects everybody's ignorant about. How are you doing on poetry or sentence diagramming or foreign languages or international, international finance or subatomic particle acceleration? I mean, we're all ignorant about something, right? But to be ignorant simply means to be uninformed. And there's one thing that you shouldn't be ignorant of, and that's the truth of God's Word. Amen? Uh, Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 and verse 32 that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, that being the case, we need to understand, and this is in your notes, that knowing what God expects is the first step to obeying what God expects. And, and we understand that God's real goal for our lives is obedience. But if you don't know what He's looking for, would you agree it's impossible to be obedient, right? You have to know what He expects. So that's why we have coined the phrase, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You know, we use that in, in our civil justice system, right? If you say, well, I didn't know the speed limit was 30. Well, you should have, <laughs> They don't care if you didn't know it. If you disobey it, well, and they catch you, right, you're going to pay the punishment. Well, similarly, in the Old Testament law, they had the same principle. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this, And if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, wist is an old English word for knew, though he knew it not, yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. Lord, I didn't know that that's what you wanted. Well, you should have known, because you can know. And so in this chapter, we're going to take a look at some people who, well, they are being reminded. There's some things that we need to be reminded of. That's why we're here today, so that you won't be uninformed, or you won't be misinformed. So if you'll follow along, I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, the first seven verses. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation." For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so there are some serious consequences to being ignorant of the truth. Let's pray, and then we'll look at some details. 
So, Heavenly Father, as we come before you, as always, we're humbled and thankful, and we ask that you would do in these next several minutes what only you can do. Take your Holy Spirit, reveal to us your truth, such that each and every one of us, regardless of where we're at in our lives today and the problems that we face, each and every one of us would hear your word, that we would meet you, that we would understand and not be uninformed anymore, that we would know specifically and exactly how you would have each of us to respond in whatever it is we're dealing with. Only you can do this, and so we ask you to do it. This is your time. We commit it to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point that we're going to look at is ignorance due to distraction. And we're going to look at the first few verses. Ignorance due to distraction. So this is somebody who's sincere, but yet he's forgetful. And let me just tell you, at the stage of life that I currently am, uh, you know, as you get older, you tend to forget stuff. Amen? Some of you? Amen? Can I get some, can I get, can I get a little love out here? I mean, some of us forget some stuff. I mean, you know, I was talking to somebody in the office this week, and, and I said, I don't exactly know, but it, to me, it seems kind of like my hard drive is getting full. You know, in order to take in new information, I got to dump some old stuff. I mean, I don't know exactly how it works, but it seems that way. It happens. That being the case, we need to be reminded. And that's exactly what Peter's doing. In fact, this is a theme that Peter began back in chapter number 1. So let me remind you from 2 Peter 1 and verse 12, where he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. Well, that's me. I knew some stuff, and some, oh, I forgot. I forgot I knew that. I need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded at times. Though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up, how? By putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. So Peter makes a point. He's at the end of his life. Maybe he's getting forgetful. I don't know. But he says, here's one thing you need not forget. There's some things you need to be reminded of, and you need to be stirred up with these things. Well, what are the things we need to be reminded of? Well, the first thing is, and this is letter A, you need to be reminded of the Holy Scriptures. You need to be reminded of the Holy Scriptures. It says that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken. Then it says, before by the Holy Prophets. Well, that's the Old Testament, right? And it says, and the commandments of us, the apostles. Well, that's the New Testament. So basically what he's saying is you need to be reminded of what God says, both old and new. And I also want you to understand that at the time that Peter writes this letter, I mean, the New Testament isn't done. They are writing it. But yet during Peter's physical lifespan, Already the apostolic writings are being recognized as Scripture. In fact, if you flip the page in 2 Peter chapter 3 and look to the end in verses 15 and 16, he says that some of the writings of Paul are being considered as Scripture. Notice, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Notice, as also in all his epistles... Speaking of them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, 
as they do also notice the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is recognizing that Paul's epistles already are being considered scriptures, holy scriptures. So we need to be reminded of what is written in the Bible. And that's what we do when we come together every week. That's what you do if you read your Bible every morning. That's the most important thing in our lives, certainly. But ultimately, in the context of what he's talking about in 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is letter B in your notes, we need to be reminded of the coming judgment. We need to be reminded of the coming judgment. And you can glance down to verse number 7, where ultimately he describes the judgment, the heavens and the earth, which are now the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And we'll see more about this next week, but the thing that he really wants us to be reminded of is about the times. Time is short. Judgment is coming. You remember, if you've been with us in our study, that the parallel to 2 Peter, especially chapter 2, but even into chapter 3, the parallel book to that is the little book of Jude, the book that comes right before the book of Revelation. And we find parallel passages in Jude that go with 2 Peter. So in this case, we'll go to Jude, verses 14 and 15. There's only one chapter. And it says this, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So there have been warnings throughout the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New, that there is a coming judgment. There is a day of reckoning. There is a time when we will all have to give an account. So, okay, great. We, we, we who have been in church a while, we get it. We know the day. We know, we know there's coming a day. Everybody's going to be judged one day. I think everybody kind of is tracking with that fact. But what does that really mean to me? What does that really mean to me today when I leave here, when I go home and celebrate with my mom, when I go to work tomorrow? What does it mean to me? Well, I think it means that you need to get busy. I think it means that you need to work now while it's day. You need to go for it, and you need to go for it hard. Let's be reminded from Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. Notice the context. And that knowing the time, that's really what we need to know. We need to know what time it is, right? Knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. You notice Christians that just seem like they're sleeping? People that are believers, that they live their lives like, eh, you know, whatever, hit the snooze. It's high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The day is the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. Let us therefore, as a result, right, cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. What is the motivation that judgment and the, the pending judgment comes, gives to us? Well, it's holy living. It's, it's evangelism, right? It says in Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil, the time is short. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 says it another way. Notice, not as though I had already attained, Paul says, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Then he says in verse 15, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. If you've been with us in our study, you know that the way the Bible uses the word perfect does not mean sinless. It literally means mature. The, the context and the, and the theme of 2 Peter chapter 3, well, all of 2 Peter, is spiritual growth and maturity. And Paul is saying, man, as many of us as have grown to maturity, we need to be thus-minded. We need to be minded that we forget what's behind and we press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the mindset a mature believer needs to have. Go for it. Go for it now. Quit worrying about what your neighbor might think if you go to share the gospel with him and just do it. Let's just try because there's coming a day when we won't have the chance and we'll be sorry. Peter's reminding us, this is in your notes as well, that sincere believers need to be stirred up to service. That's verse 1, right? In both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And we know he's talking to sincere believers because he says that their minds are pure. Your minds are pure, but sometimes you forget. Sometimes you need to be stirred up. Sometimes you just need to be motivated a little bit, just, just nudged a little bit to get her done. So an honest, sincere believer is someone who's faithful to God. He's faithful to God's Word and reading it regularly. He's faithful to God's church. So congratulations. You, you listen to God's Word being taught. You take it in. And let me tell you something. If you're faithful to the Lord, if you're faithful to His Word, if you're faithful to His church, you know what's going to happen? God will make sure that you are regularly reminded of the things you need to be reminded of. Have you ever noticed that phenomenon? Have you ever been in church, and, and maybe you don't want to say, yeah, that's me, but maybe you want to say, I know a guy, if it'll help make, make you feel better. I know a guy who told me once, man, that sermon was just about me. It's like I was the only guy in the room. If you're faithful to the Lord, if you're faithful to His Word, you don't have to have the fastest microprocessor brain. God will remind you, friends. He'll remind you. That's what He does. And that's a blessing. Well, there's another thing we need to be reminded of. And this really becomes the theme of this set of verses that we're looking at. And it's letter C, that there will be scoffers. There will be scoffers. You need to under, and he says this, he says, but first, first, okay, we're going to get to the judgment and our responsibility, but, but first, let me remind you that in the last days, there's going to be scoffers. Uh, these are people that are mockers. They're going to deny the truth of the coming judgment. They're going to deny their responsibility and accountability. They're going to mock the Lord. They're going to mock His Word. They're going to mock prophecy. They're going to say things to you like, hey, don't be a fanatic. I mean, don't be a Jesus freak. Don't go crazy with it. I mean, we're all believers too. I mean, I know this is a challenge for you teenagers, Right? You get friends who go to church or whatever, and they're like, don't go crazy with that Jesus thing. I mean, take it easy. We got time. That's what the scoffers are going to say, right? We have time. They're going to say, face it, our fathers, our grandfathers, they all said he was coming. He hasn't come yet. Man, live it up a little bit. That's what the scoffers will say. And we're going to look at the details of the scoffers more in just a minute, but, but you, sincere believers need to be reminded that they exist. They will be around, okay? They're going to bug you, so don't be shocked when it happens. 
So here's the dilemma. God's word says one thing. Society around you says something different. Now, you're faced with a choice. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the voice within? Or are you going to listen to the voice without? Within the word of God, the Holy Spirit, or without? Scoffers, public opinion. Ignorance due to distraction. Things in your life to just cause you to be distracted from focusing on the mission that God has given you. But the second point, and we're going to camp here for a little bit, is an entirely different category. It's ignorance due to dissension. Ignorance due to dissension. It says in verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of. They willingly are ignorant of. This is not a sincere seeker. These are not just people who have yet to be informed about the truth of God's word. These are people who don't want to know. Forgive me for saying it this way. I can't think of a better way to say it than this. They're not just ignorant. They're stupid. And they're stupid on purpose. They willingly are ignorant of critical truth that will affect them. What they do is they shut their ears from hearing. Some of you may remember the story back in Acts chapter 7 when one of the first deacons of the church of Jerusalem, a man named Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, he goes out and he, he preaches this phenomenal sermon, all of chapter 7 of the book of Acts before the leaders of Israel, and he, he, he gives a running history of the story of Israel leading up to the very crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, you and your fathers, you are the ones that crucified the Messiah. And, he, and he's just, I mean, he's just shucking the corn, man. He's laying it out there. And how do they respond? Acts seven fifty seven, They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. And ran upon him with one accord, and ultimately he becomes the first martyr recorded in the church of Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That's the adult version of a little kid who, who says, la, 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 I'm not listening, I am not listening, right? That's the adult version of the exact same thing that little kids do when they don't want to hear you say, clean up your room again or else whatever. You know what that is? That's the demonstration of immaturity, isn't it? I'm not even willing to hear what you've got to say. Why is that? Why is it that some people prefer to be uninformed? Have you ever thought about that? Well, I think one of the reasons is, is because the message they're about to hear that people are talking about runs contrary to their predetermined opinion. I've already made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. That's their attitude. I've got my worldview. I'm not interested in what you have to say. And I think it's because deep down that they know that if they really hear this, that ultimately they're going to have to give an account. Once you know something, friends, and, and this is a truth you need to be aware of as well, once you understand something, you're now responsible for it. 
you're responsible for it. And God knows it too. So ignorance is bliss, they say. They say, I'd rather be fat, dumb, and happy. I'm not sure how fat got in there. I don't like that. So we just, you know, I'd just rather be ignorant and be happy and just go along my life. Well, I mean, to be fair, there is something to that. King Solomon, the wisest man, human being that ever lived, said this in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 17. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. Notice in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much joy? No, it's much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge, well, he increases sorrow too. Because the more you know, the more you understand with the wisdom of God, the more you can literally see this world through God's word. That was weird. Okay. <laughs> then you see how messed up this world is. You see how messed up your friends are. You see how everything really is. And man, that's, that's sorrowful. That's sorrowful. So, uh, you know, thanks, Pastor. I'm done reading. I'm out. Well, without the wisdom, here's the catch, right? Your eternity is going to be filled with a whole lot more sorrow. You better know. You better prepare, right? Remember John 8, 32? Remember that? The truth will make you free. Eventually, anyway. So God actually does go into some detail to tell us more about these people, these scoffers. And so I have it broken down in your notes. Letter A, first off, their manner. Their manner is, is that they're self-serving. It says in verse number three that they were walking after their own lusts. After their own lusts. The parallel, little book of Jude, starting in verse 16 now. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons and admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. So these mockers, these scoffers, they are murmurers. They are complainers. That means that they're divisive. It means that they're vocal. It means that they're unwilling to listen to the truth. Ever meet anybody like that? And they only serve themselves. They walk after their own lusts. Continuing Jude, verse number 19, These be they who separate themselves. So they're legalists sensual having not the spirit in the church context this is a sad reality this is where much knowledge brings much sorrow have you ever noticed that the people who seem to be the strictest about separating yourself from everything and anything that is worldly tend to be the people who truly deep down are the most sensual 
and have the most? Why, does, why do I need to build rules and laws all around me to never do anything? Because if I even gave myself an inch, I'd go so crazy in sin. They're sensual. And let me tell you who's not a part of that whole big mess. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Well, when the Bible says, having not the Spirit, well, I mean, that leads you to the conclusion that in a lot of cases anyway, well, they're not even saved. Because in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9, it says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, talking to believers, of course. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, that's the kicker, right? Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, well, he's none of his. So there go all the people that say, well, you can believe on Jesus for salvation, and then at some point later you pray to get the Holy Ghost. No, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, well, you're not saved. (laughs) That's what it says in Romans 8, 9, right? And so when he says these people are separated and sensual and having not the Spirit, well, they're not only legalists, they're unsaved legalists. These are the murmurers, these are the complainers. This is the manner of life of the scoffers. God is revealing it to you. Another place, Psalm chapter 81, verse number 11, but my people would not hearken to my voice. He's talking about Israel and he says they were unwilling to listen to me. They were willingly ignorant. See? And Israel would none of me. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust because scoffers who are willingly ignorant walk after their own lust. And they walked in their own counsels. So what's going to happen? You're either going to walk in the Spirit, which means according to God's Word and, and according to His wisdom, or you're going to walk in the flesh according to your own Word, according to your own wisdom. People like that, don't let them kid you. They're not sincere. They're not sincere. They're playing a game. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 says, For the time will come, the last days, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, see it, shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So there's going to be people in the last days that will stop their ears from hearing sound doctrine and they're going to run and find people who will tell them what they want to hear. They have predetermined what they believe and want to hear, and they will just allow themselves to be surrounded by people who agree with them. It is a characteristic of the end. James chapter 1 and verse 14, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and the end of that road is sin and death. So, we could say it this way, and this is in your notes. They're not interested in investigation. They're interested in preservation. They're not sincere seekers of the truth. They're not interested in hearing something that could actually help them. They're just interested in preserving whatever little kingdom they think they've built around them. You know what the irony of that all is? While they respond in a way that in their minds preserves what they enjoy, it ultimately is going to be their destruction. It's ultimately going to be their destruction. Because what is the Lord ultimately looking for? Your crazy high intellect? No. He's looking for your willingness to hear. 
He's looking for your response of faith. He's looking for you to submit. That's what he's looking for. He'll take care of the rest, right? So that's their manner. Letter B, their message. And their message is, show me. Their message is, prove it. Verse 4, what do they say? Where is the promise of his coming? In other words, how can you prove that that's going to happen? Well, to be fair, it requires faith. Because it's in God's word, right? In other words, it's not a matter of empirical evidence. So you guys are going to graduate high school soon enough, and a lot of you are going to go off to college, and some of you are college students already, and a lot of us already went to college, and college is the hotbed of finding super liberal professors that will use their classroom as their podium to propagate their version of casting down your faith, right? So if you go to a university and Sadly, even Christian universities have a level of that, but for sure if you go to a secular university, right, they are going to come after you. And they are going to say things like, where is the promise of his coming? Those are the ultimate scoffers. They're going to say, prove it. How can you prove it? And what they're going to do is they're going to try and refer to empirical scientific evidence. Well, listen, man, it's a ridiculous question. It's circular reasoning. Because it is impossible to take empirical evidence reproducible in a laboratory to prove something that is a past event like creation, so they go after you with evolution, or a future event. That's prophecy. You can't prove either one of those things because empirical evidence only can prove something in the now, not in the past, and not in the future. Where is the promise of his, they're just scoffers. They're just complainers, right? But, the, but by the way, there is an answer. Where is the promise of his coming? Uh, uh, it's right here. It's in God's word, yo. <laughs> I'm hip. Okay. But you have to believe it, right? God's word doesn't work for you if you don't believe it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what God seeks after, right? So God's word will work for you, but you have to, it is an exercise of faith. There's no question about it. So that's their message. Their method, letter C. Here's a word for you. Uniformitarianism. It's, it's written in there. You don't have to write it down. Uniformitarianism. In other words, it says in verse number four, for since the fathers fell asleep, All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. This is the false scientific argument that is the basis for all of the evolutionary prejudice. The reason why they think that the world is billions of years old is because they think that throughout history, everything has always continued in the same way that it continues today. But that's not the the case. It's never been the case. It's ridiculous. But their method of arguing will be, where is the promise of his coming? You can't prove it. Why? Because throughout history, everything continues the way it continues. And so since he's never come, therefore, he's never going to come. And you say, well, you know, again, if you're a sincere seeker, you'll say, well, okay, sort of, partly true, but only after Noah's flood. Things have only continued the way they continue since after the flood of Noah. So in Genesis chapter 8, immediately after the flood of Noah, and verse 21 we read, 
And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Verse 22, notice, while the earth remaineth, which does hint that there will be a day when it won't remain. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. There's a level of uniformitarianism from the time post-Noah's flood until the ultimate judgment of this planet by fire in that window. But to just say, because we see what we see, well, it's never going to happen. In your notes, I put it this way. They reason from history, not revelation. We've never seen it so far, Therefore, it'll never happen. Can I say that's what a lot of Cubs fans used to say? (laughs) They just didn't go far enough back. We won once. It was just 108 years ago. But in my lifetime, I've never seen it. So I thought, well, that's probably never going to happen. That was a mistake. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Letter D, they have a mistake. Their mistake, and their mistake is limited information. Right? In other words, ignorance. They are misinformed or they are uninformed. What does it say? By the word of God. Here's what they don't know. Here's what they're ignorant of. By the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So the one thing that they're ignorant of, and this is number one, they don't know God's word. We've already kind of established that. Can I just tell you this? If you don't know God's word, you don't have all the information. I don't care how many degrees you have after your name. I don't care how high your IQ is. If you don't know God's word, if you reject God and his word, God calls you a fool. If you don't have God's word, you don't have all the information. The Lord Jesus said in himself in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus answered and said unto them, these Pharisees, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, not, nor the power of God. Because the Scriptures are the thing that give the light to everything else that is. And the good news, y'all, is you can know them. He gave us a perfect copy, and he gave the very author, the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of you. You can know them. What a blessing. But they are ignorant. They don't know God's word. And number two, they don't know true history. So I made the joke about the Cubs, but the truth is in this case, they don't go far enough back in history. They're only going post-Noah's flood. Only God's word can take you back that far with accuracy. God judged it all once before, and he's going to do it again. I want you to notice again, verses 5 and 6. By the word of God, the heavens were of old. Notice that. The heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So we have a heaven, and we have an earth, that perished. This is not Noah's flood, y'all. 
I don't care what Ken Hovind and other Bible teachers want to teach you. This is the flood of Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2, we referred to it last week, is not, Noah is later, it's in Genesis 6, 7, 8, right? This is the flood that took the whole earth, the, the whole earth was bobbing up and down like a buoy in the ocean, right? In the water and out of the water. This is not that the waters were gathered and dry land appeared after Noah's flood. This is different, okay? Because the heavens and the earth were of old. You say, how do you know that? Well, it goes on in verse number 5. It says, the heavens were of old in 5, and the earth that then was in verse 6. But look at verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now. So whatever heavens and earth we experience, terra firma, right, the skies and the planets, whatever it is now, it's different from what it used to be at one time. That's what he's saying, right? And you're like, I don't know. Oh, really, it's easy. Flip forward and look at verse number 13. Nevertheless, we say, this is post the fire of the earth that we just read about. According to his promise, look for what? Oh, here it is, a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, so there's three. There's an old one, there's a current one, and there's a future one. Well, of course there's three. There's always three. Anything God makes, God makes after the pattern of himself, and God is a trinity. And so there is an old earth and heaven. There is a current earth and heaven. Noah's flood did not do away with the heavens, by the way. And there is going to be a future earth and heaven. This is not information you're going to get in your science book, y'all. This is revelation from God. And he says, you're willingly ignorant. You're not willing to study God's word. You're not willing to get into the word of God in order to get the wisdom and the insight to know You didn't go far enough back in history. It happened before. It's going to happen again. The confidence you can have that when God's word says this planet is going to be burned up with unquenchable fire, the confidence you have that that's actually going to happen, we may not know when, but that it will happen, comes from the fact that, well, he said he would do it before and he did it. He said he's going to do it again. He'll probably do it. And if you're interested, and I just threw this in your notes, but the first earth's judgment was of water because of the sin of the angels. Last week we talked a little bit about this and the fall of Lucifer and Isaiah 14 and the angels that fell with him, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4 talks about the angels that sinned and left their first estate and God's kept in everlasting chains of judgment. The first earth had a judgment of water. Because of the sin of the angels. The present earth's judgment will be a fire. And that's because of the sin of men. And that's what it says in verse number 7. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Ungodly men. So let me wrap this thing up. Don't be ignorant of the truth. You don't have to be. There's no reason for you to be ignorant of the truth other than your own unwillingness to know what it says. God gave literally himself, soul, spirit, and body. Let me rephrase. His word, his Holy Spirit, and the local church. Soul, spirit, and body. He gave that to us. 
so that we can know his will. So let me just help you. If you meet a scoffer, just know it's likely that they're unsaved. It's certain that they're immature. But know this, your Bible's true. Your Bible's true. When you meet people that talk like that, just say, oh, thank you. Oh, for what? Oh, for confirming the Bible. Thank you. (laughs) That'll hack them off. If you meet a scoffer, let me just say, and maybe the odds are really slim that this is the case, but God knows. If you are a scoffer and you happen to be listening today, please do a sincere investigation of history and of the scriptures before you speak foolishly to your own demise. But for most of us, if you're sincere but forgetful, there's several things that God admonishes you to not be ignorant about. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but don't be ignorant about Israel's foolishness and God's judgment on them as a result. Don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Don't be ignorant about the rapture of the church. There are things that the scriptures literally say, be not ignorant of these things. But most importantly, I want to finish with this. Don't be ignorant of God's righteousness, which was provided for you in Jesus Christ. That's what Israel did. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Speaking of Israel, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Just ask you a question Are you sure that you're saved? Do you know 100% for sure? that if your physical life ended before this day ended, that you would have a home in heaven? And, and if the answer to that is yes, there's only one reason why you can say yes. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because you know Christ's righteousness has been applied to you when you surrendered your heart and life to him and asked him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and life and give you his new life. But if you're here and you're not sure of that, let me tell you, the good news is we're still breathing. We're still here. You have time. You have been made aware. You are no longer uninformed. You are now responsible and capable of simply surrendering to the Lord and saying, Lord, that's me. I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. Will you forgive me and give me your righteousness? Man, you can do that right now. And in a second, we're going to pray. I've got one last thing to look at in context of this, and that's Ephesians 4, 17 to 20. Phrased a little differently. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. So one question is, are you saved? The other question is, are you walking in the power of the Spirit? Are you walking in such a way as to please the Lord? He describes the Gentiles, the unsaved people, how they walk according to their flesh. And he rebukes them. Uh, Paul rebukes the church and he says, hey, don't be like that. Don't walk like they walk. He would say this, Christian, don't be, don't be like the ignorant Gentiles. 
Don't live a life that a third-party observer would look at you and not be able to tell any difference between your life and a lost man's life. Don't live your life like that. Because when you live your life in obedience, that is the demonstration of spiritual maturity, is it not? That's what's got, what God is looking for in our lives. Let's, let's pray together and let's respond to what the Lord has for us. Would you bow your heads with me?